TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by an obstacle racing champion. He was the star of the Search for Hurt TV show. He's an obstacle racing athlete and a sky running athlete, which we're going to find out all about. Um, as you would know, I've recently started doing CrossFit, and you know these kind of races are very popular in the CrossFit community, so I'm very interested to hear from Matt Murphy, but I'm also a little bit scared that he might be inspiring me to do something that's going to hurt me even more. So welcome to the show, Matt Murphy. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is going to be a fun chat today. Like I said, I was sitting down thinking about this interview and I thought, oh, I know what I'm like and I'm going to get to the end of this interview and I'm going to want to do one of these silly races and I'm going to be in all sorts of pain. So tell us about it, Matt. Tell me how you got into doing obstacle racing. Um, well, it was back in, I think, 2008. Eight, I'm pretty sure it was. It might have been 07 times starting to get away from me, but um, it all started that I had a uh, PT business, a bunch of clients, about 60 or 80 clients, and I wanted to, I guess, keep them engaged uh, month after month. So I saw this thing called the Tough Bloke Challenge down in Appen, uh, which is sort of southwestern Sydney, called the Tough Bloke Challenge. And I thought, oh, well, it's an obstacle race. You go through mud. It's kind of like a military-inspired sort of thing. So I thought this could be a good day out. Um, and we went there. It was six kilometers with about 30 obstacles in there. Um, and it ended up that I, I won the race. But the biggest thing was that my clients absolutely loved it. Like, they, it was insane how much they liked it. And I thought, well, this is a good way to keep my clients engaged. So we organized to go to another one, which I think might have been Warrior Dash a few months later. Um, and it just morphed into this thing that every sort of twice, three times a year, I'd take anywhere from 60 to 200 clients to these um, events and I seemed to go well at them and my clients loved them. So it was a no-brainer just to keep doing them. So what was it about it that you loved, Matt? Because, you know, we look at these events and we see, um, you know, six kilometers, you said that one was, some of them are even long, some of them are 20 kilometers yeah. long. We see all these obstacles. We see people running through and getting shocked by electricity. You know, what, what is it about that that makes you think, hey, this sounds fantastic. I would love to do that. Um, well, personally, it's, um, I've got a, you know, background in triathlon and uh, cross-country running, etc., and the competitive side of the sports picked up a lot over the last sort of five to seven years. So um, you've got guys, you know, world-class athletes from different sports coming in. So for me, it's, you know, to compare myself uh, against other athletes, um, not just from a running sense, but also, I guess, from a physical strength standpoint, whether it's, you know, moving heavy objects from one point to another. So I guess, like, for me, it's quite a good assessment of overall uh, fitness competing against other people. But then also I think for the broader community, it's the whole um, ex- life is so, um, I guess, stringent these days or life's set out for you that you hop in your car, you drive to work, you work all day, you drive home. Whereas as soon as you go to one of these races, the general populace, you don't know what's around the corner and that's why people <laughs> love it because it's the unexpected, you know, and they don't get that in their daily life. 
Um, and I think that's why the sport is growing so fast. So who is this sport format? Because there'll be people listening to this episode who, uh, you know, who maybe already love these events. There'll, there'll be some listening to them who might be CrossFitters or, you know, spend lots of time in the gym who are thinking, hey, that sounds great. That'd be a great challenge. But there'll be other people listening to this thinking, hey, you know, I don't love fitness or I'm not massively into fitness. So this just isn't for me. But, you know, is there... Is it scalable, this sort of sport? Like, is there stuff that you can do if you're brand new to it, if you're not particularly fit, that you can, you know, go towards something that's on the lower end as well? Yeah, 100%. So, um, I guess the sport is for anyone. It's just to go out and do a challenge. So, rather, just like, I guess you'd say, boxing and UFC, whereas, you know, road running, um, don't get me wrong, you know, half marathons and 10Ks and 5K uh, road runs are great, but I think... As human uh, nature goes, we're always looking for the next challenge. Um, so I think, you know, someone that's looking at doing a five-kilometre road run, then, yeah, there's plenty of five-kilometre obstacle races out there and it's just the next, uh, I guess, the next breed or the next generation of challenges that are put in front of us. So for someone like um, Spartan Race, they have um, events anywhere from a sprint, which is six to seven kilometres, all the way up to a beast, which is uh, 21 kilometres. Um and it's just it's just about challenging yourself. Um, I think we just get complacent in life uh, that we put limitations on ourselves. Whereas, you know, it doesn't matter if you're out there for an hour or five hours. Um, you're going to finish. You're not going to die. And you just get from point A to point B. Do a bunch of obstacles in between and go and have a good time. Nice. So, what are the benefits of doing obstacle racing? Obviously, you've spoken about, you know, it can impact on mindset and maybe you can chat some more about that. But in terms of, you know, overall health and fitness, um, you know, where do you see this fitting into, uh, I guess, someone's overall health and, and exercise regime? And what are the benefits of doing something like this as opposed to, say, walking or, you know, running on a treadmill or, or doing a, you know, doing some weights in the gym yeah well i think um even if you are walking or even if you go to the gym or even if you're doing crossfit something like um you know doing an obstacle race you're, you're targeting so many aspects of fitness whether it's your endurance base your strength base because there's so many obstacles which i guess have a bias to one of those uh different physiological outcomes so mm. you know you might have a 55 kilo dead ball carry for the males or a 25 kilo dead ball carry for the women or you might have to get up you know a very large uh, a very large hill. You know, it might take you 20 minutes to get to the top of it. Um, whereas, you know, you're working more your endurance side. Um, you can even, you know, with getting over different walls, pulling sandbags up over trees, like there's, I guess you're working so many different modalities of fitness that it really, it's going to encapsulate anyone and anything. So whether you're a competitive crossfitter or you're a mum that likes to go walking with a pram, um, there's going to be something for you. Yeah. And so... How do you prepare for that? You know, obviously, if you're someone who, you know, maybe if you're someone who's already doing something like CrossFit, you know, then maybe you're you're somewhat prepared for that sort of a challenge. But if if you're if you are that mum who's pushing the pram, you know, how would you go about preparing for an obstacle race? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, I think the beauty of it that even if you're not so much wanting to be, you know, super competitive, I think part of the beauty of it is almost being somewhat underprepared um, because well, we're not prepared for everything that comes to us in life and that's the beauty of obstacle racing is that, you know, you might turn a corner and, you know, you've got to pick up something that's bloody heavy off the ground um, and you might not be prepared for that but you've got to do it anyway um, and I think that's why it's kind of cool but 
Uh, if you do want to prepare for it very well, um, obviously there's online program that I have. <laughs> I'll give that a plug while we're here. But it's going out and just doing stuff. So doing a large variety of different fitness modalities. So walking, go to a CrossFit box, do some workouts there. Go to the gym, do some general um, lifting. You know, just doing a lot of different things. I know that sounds crazy. Walking, running, lifting heavy stuff, playing touch football, things like this. They're all going to prepare you very well. And, you know, one of the things I like about it is is that variety and, and that, that degree of, you know, it being unexpected because it is such a great, uh, not only a great metaphor but a great preparation. I think just for life, you know, like you said, you you know, you might you're you're that mum pushing the pram. You've got a small child, you know. At some stage, that child might run out onto the road, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden you have you're sprinting, you're picking up a child, you know, you're you're doing these activities, and so I think physically, you know, this sort of exercise can really prepare you for life, but also I guess mentally. It's going to really prepare you for life because in life, stuff happens. You know, challenges come out of nowhere and you have to deal with it. And so, you know, kind of I guess the more you uh, learn how to deal with it and learn how to mentally overcome that, wow, I've just turned a corner and here's a 55-kilo ball and you want me to pick it up and do something yeah. with it, you know, uh, it, it's you know, it's going to have an impact on, I guess, a flow-on effect onto the whole rest of your life. Exactly right. And as you said, with uh, the mental side, it's... Um don't overcomplicate things too much. Don't overthink things. Just, you know, it is what it is. It's there. I've just got to get past it and move on to the next piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So, tell us about the Search for Hurt TV show. What was that all about? I haven't actually seen that one, Matt. I, I apologize, right. but no, I'm no. have to check it out now. Uh, yeah. But uh, tell, tell me about it. How did What was the show about and how did it come about? Okay. So, back, um, I think, 2012, um, I was in the shower. I know that sounds a bit out there, but anyway, I was in the shower. That's where many great thoughts come. Um, And I thought to myself uh, about how so many or so much of the population don't understand what an elite or professional high-paid athlete has to go through on a daily basis to be as good as they are. Mm. All as we see is the end result of that amazing, you know, tackle or that amazing trial, the amazing goal that someone scores or how can they drive a car that fast with that reaction time. So I thought to myself, how cool would it be to be actually to show the, I guess, the broader community of what these people go through every single day for years and years and years um, to be as good as they are. So um, it worked out that thought, you know, we'd call it the search for hurt because many of these athletes have to you know, hurt day in, day out, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually to get to where they are. Um, And we filmed with, oh, God, 40, 50, 60 elite athletes and teams and we spent a day in the life of that athlete or team and filmed how they prepare, what they go through and obviously sit down interviews but also the physical side of it. So say, for instance, I'd rock up to the Australian water polo team um, and I do a four-hour in the pool session with the team and I'm a pretty fit guy and I'm I'm getting absolutely drowned by these guys. Like it's ridiculous <laughs> or maybe Toby Price where, you know, I can ride a motorbike pretty well but, you know, I'm giving it everything I've got and Toby Price is right next to me on one wheel just laughing um, and just showing the broader community how good these guys are and why they're paid so much money in a lot of cases. And so what did you learn about these elite athletes? Like what, what's the difference between them and your average, you know, guy at the gym? 
Okay. Um, well, a couple of things. Um, most of them, if not all of them, started very young um, in their sport uh, and consistency. So they started young in their chosen sport and they've stayed consistent year after year after year. It's the whole 10,000 hours or in a lot of these cases hundreds mm. of thousands of hours of perfecting their skill that it be, just becomes second nature, um, whereas general population or someone that's um, quite a good um, or quite a fit person, um, you know, they've, they've got a job, they've got kids, they've got uh, pressures of a mortgage, etc. Um, whereas a lot of these athletes, their only focus is to make sure that they swim to one end of the pool very fast or to make sure that they can accelerate faster out of a corner than anyone else on the planet, um, to make sure they can kick a ball more efficiently than anyone else. So, you know, these these elite athletes have had, you know, one or very limited, um, I guess, distractions in their life that they can focus solely on you know, their goal. Whereas, you know, if you think about the general pop, you as a, you as a doctor or, um, you know, someone as a nurse or someone as a builder, they perfect their trade. Whereas, you know, these people have perfected their trade being uh, an elite sportsman, whether it's football, hockey, whatever that sport is. And so, yeah, it's interesting to think about that sort of single-minded focus, I guess, uh, firstly, from a physical point of view, but also from a mental point of view. And so, from a physical point of view, you know, these people are very good at doing usually a particular thing. You know, to, to get to the elite level, you have to really hone in on that one particular skill. Uh, and it's almost the opposite of what you're talking about in terms of the obstacle racing, you know, where the obstacle racing is being able to be, you know, do a little bit of everything. Now, we're talking about being very, very good at one particular thing. Um do you think that's healthy in terms of your, your your physical body to be so focused on just that one thing at the at the expense of perhaps other things? Yeah, well, I think that's a, that's another thing that I guess um, the broader community would I guess need to understand that we sometimes wonder why you know these athletes may be paid so much money in their chosen sport, but what we also need to understand, or what you know the general population needs to understand, is that they're potentially uh, roadblocking themselves through other avenues of their life because they are so single-minded within that sport. And that's fine because, you know, they're paid a lot of money to excel at a high – well, some cases paid a lot of money to excel in a certain sport, but they are potentially cutting themselves off to other income streams because they haven't learned other skills because they are so single-minded. Yeah, and, and in terms of their bodies, like in terms of their, their physical health, um, you know, you look at, for example, and the, the obvious one I think people often think of is like a marathon runner, you know, and they're, you know, physically, they're, they're, they're different. You know, yeah. they're, they're very, very lean. You know, they don't carry a lot of weight. They're, you know, there's a real repetitive nature to those activities that, you know, often means that later on in life, you know, they're struggling with injuries and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, in terms of their physical body, how, how do you think, you know, do you think that is healthy or unhealthy when you get to that degree of focus on yeah. one particular sport? Something to even, a, a sport that I think has a higher demand is even look at something like water polo. Um, that's mm. what I learned is that they have a huge amount of hip problems. Um, and, you know, water polo players aren't paid a lot of money at all. Um, if any, if even if you're on the Australian Olympic team, it's it's insane, um, and they're putting their bodies through this amount of stress and torture. But it's because they love it. So, is it healthy? Um, no, 
I, I physically no, but um, another thing that we need to understand is these athletes love it. They live for mm. this. Um, they don't hop in the pool or they don't, you know, get out on the road at 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning every day of the week for hours on end because it's a chore. They absolutely love it. So I guess the psychosomatic uh, side of it is if they don't do it, what's the damage that they're going to do psychologically because they're kind of wired to do that, they're programmed to do that in their life. Um, so I guess it's a bit of a yin and yang sort of thing that, yes, yeah. they're damaging their body, but mentally they might, you know, go crazy because they can't they can't do what they love. So I guess it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I see this in practice all the time, you know, and people come into me and say, look, I really want to keep doing X or Y, you know, and it's just what they love doing. And and my focus is always on trying to do everything I can to help that person be you know, fit enough, strong enough, stable enough so that they can do what they love doing. You know, I know for me, it's always been cricket. You know, I love cricket, uh, but it's a really repetitive one-sided activity. You know, it puts a lot of strain on my shoulder, um, bowling repeatedly. And so, you know, I know that you know, that movement, it's not very natural. It's not a particularly healthy movement, <laughs> but I love doing it. And so, yeah. I try and do everything else right in my life so that I can keep doing that thing that I love doing. Um, so, you know, it, and at the end of the day, you know, you would rather these people be moving than not moving, you know. So, even if it's not the most healthy activity, uh, you know, it's better than sitting on the couch. And we are talking, you know, like when we're talking these elite athletes versus, say, general pop doing a sport of a weekend and training once or twice a week for it. Yeah. Like when we're talking these guys, like, oh, the the amount of repetitions that they do day in, day out, it's a whole nother level. Yeah. And so you spoke about that. Obviously, the repetition they have to do, the, the amount of time they have to do, the, the single-minded focus that they have to have. Um, how does that impact on them from, I guess, a, you know, from a mental side of things? You know, how does that impact on their, their well, mental health, for want of a better word? But, you know, just being so singly focused on that one aspect of their life. Um, did you sort of learn anything about them, about how that impacts on the rest of their life, like positively and negatively? Well, I think um, it, would, it would come back to a fair bit about the sport as well. I think um, an individual sport uh, that is potentially not only individual but very uh, – like let's let's compare a swimmer to a runner. So a swimmer and a runner are both an individual sport, but the beauty of a runner is you're able to communicate with your fellow, uh, I guess, athletes or fellow competitors even in training, whereas a swimmer, your eyes are watching that black line. Yes, you're able to communicate with your training buddies, etc. When you finish a repetition or you know a certain swim set, but I think there's not psychological damage, but the psychological impact of a swimmer versus runner. I think um, you know swimmers are very um, individual, lonely sport um, and tough, and I think it takes a certain kind of person to you know get to that. Uh, uh, I guess to be in the, that kind of sport versus a team sport like football, etc. Um, I think anything on a scale, um, you know, of elitism or something like that, there's there's got to be some sort of uh, negative impact. Um, it's not something. It was more the physical side that we touched on with search for hurt, um, but I think anything in excess um, can potentially, you know, skew your your thought process, etc. Yeah. And have you seen that with yourself, Matt? Like, how do you keep the balance in your life? Obviously, you're doing these full-on obstacle races and things. Like, how do, how do you keep the balance in, in your health and in your mindset? 
Um, yeah, it's a good point. I think, you know, sometimes definitely when I was racing triathlons overseas, when I was sort of uh, under 23 and juniors, when it was my full-time job, um, having training buddies and having a form of escapism uh, is really important away from what is your job, which is training, um, is super important. So whether it's, you know, going to, you know, play ping pong or, you know, going to watch the footy and things like this, having external, um, I guess, mental stimulus is really important. But now it's um, having training buddies and I don't so much – uh, I don't so much even think of what I'm doing a lot of the time as training. I just I like to be outside, you know. Like after we finish this interview, I'm going to drive into town with the wife, grab a coffee, and I'm just going to run over the mountain back to home because it's not so much training, which, yes, it is, but it's I want to be outside. Mm. Um, I want to go and do something, so I may as well just run home. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, but how important is is like rest and recovery and downtime as part of your training regime, Matt? Mm. Um, so I think uh, the older the older I get, <laughs> the more important it is. <laughs> but um, I think for me, active recovery is a really big thing. So I could go for a two hour run, but have my heart rate at sort of seventy five to eighty percent LTHR and. I'll be fine the next day, absolutely fine. But if I go out for an hour's run at 90% LTHR, then I'm going to wake up a little bit sore. So for me, it's active recovery, just getting out and doing stuff, massage, making sure that I stretch a lot, roll a lot, etc. But just being active, like today I'll even, you know, chop wood for a few hours because there's a big tree that I've got to, yeah, <laughs> chop up. Um, but just moving all the time, I'm not one to completely rest because my body seems to really flare up when I have a few days of pretty much yeah being inactive. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, I guess active recovery, moving and lower impact work. Yeah, nice. All right, so let's talk about uh, sky running, Matt, because we talked about this a little bit off air before the interview, and it sounds pretty fascinating. Um, tell us what is sky running, Matt? Okay, so um. Sport that originated in Europe, um, it's I guess it's like it's another evolution in trail running. So you've got road running, you've got trail running, and then you move into the sky running world, which is um, an event anywhere the sky running, um, I guess, federation. You've got the vertical kilometre, which uh, has to be a 1,000 metres in elevation in <laughs> under five kilometres of distance. So it's pretty much just straight up a mountain, okay? Um there's only two races in Australia that I think that they can get a vertical K out of. Um, then within that series as well, you've got um, the 23 or some races they can't quite get enough elevation. Uh, so then they'd move to the 42-kilometre event, which is I think it needs to be 2,500 metres minimum elevation over 42 kilometres. Um, but then you're not allowed to have any road in it you know you're only allowed a certain amount of dual trail it needs to be a lot of single trail um and then you've got all the way up to a hundred kilometer event which is yeah you know five thousand meters elevation um that's just absolutely gross um big big mountains a lot of descending um so pretty much imagine a very very hardcore mountainous trail run um with uh high risk factor of when i say high risk factor i guess you ne definitely need to have your wits about you because some of the country is so tough uh to actually be able to get over and that's a sky running event 
Yeah, that sounds brutal. Um, it is. It's awesome. I did uh, I did the Yarrabilla Ultra Marathon in Adelaide probably about five years ago now, and that was pretty. I thought that was pretty hilly, um, and and that had a big nasty hill right at the end. But it, it, I don't think it was anywhere near the sort of uh, elevations for the sort of duration that you're talking about here. They sound pretty crazy. So yeah, it's awesome. It really is. It's um. You'll have to come to so bright. So the town that I live in. Um, They've got an event called the Buffalo Stampede, um, and that's a registered sky running event. Uh, they've got the Vertical K. They've got the 42 and a 75 in um, the one weekend. It's like a huge party. It's like a big festival. Um, it's absolutely awesome. So, so you just do all three of those in the one weekend, Matt? No worries? Some people do. Uh, no, that's <laughs> that's a big weekend. Some people <laughs> All the three, but no, no, no. Normally the 75 or the 42 I'll do. <laughs> so what's next for you, Matt? Like uh, obviously you've done some amazing events. Are there, are there any particular um, ultras or sky running events or whatever around the world that you've really got your eyes set on? Yeah, well, in three weeks um, I'm part of Team Australia uh, to go to Spain. There's uh, the Sky Running World Championships there. So, uh, fingers crossed, uh, I'll be going over there if all the stars align. And and do you know anything about the course over there? Do you know what you've got in, they've got in store for you? Yeah, so there's three mountain passes. Um, and from what I'm aware of, it's 3,200 metres of climbing in 42 kilometres. Far out. I can't, yes. even, I can't even really picture what that means, but it just sounds like a lot. So, yeah, it's a fair to, bit, yeah. Is there anything you can give us to kind of compare that to, like what that would be like in terms of, um, you know, how much, how often you're having to run uphill? Cool, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm guessing the Adelaide Hills from being, um, from standing in Adelaide and looking out at the hills, I'm going to say the bigger the bigger mountains out there or the bigger hills out there are probably about seven to 800 metres in elevation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're 800, you've got to go from the base to the very top of the, I guess, the tallest uh, mountain there. Yeah, uh, four times. Yeah, okay. So yeah, in Adelaide, at least, many people will have done that. They'll have gone from you know Waterfall Gully up to Mount Lofty. That's a pretty common. Uh, that's a pretty common climb, and that that's about four and a half kilometers, I think, from memory. So yeah, so up and down four times. That'd be yeah, something like that, I'd imagine. Yeah. That'd get you going. That would certainly get you going. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to go research and see how much elevation there was in the Yarrabilla because it, it might have gotten to that much, but, but yeah. that was over a you know, decent distance and I certainly wasn't doing anywhere near the sort of times that I, I assume you're doing, Matt. So to go to for an event like that, for a is that 42K, is that one? Yeah, 42, that one, what, yeah. What sort of times are you doing for that sort of an event, Matt? I almost don't want to ask because I no. know how long it took me to do Yarrabilla and <laughs> so I almost don't want to ask and hear you say how quickly you do it, but I am dying to know. I'm guessing from because it's got a pretty big downhill for the fir- for the last 12 kilometres, probably about 4 hours 40, maybe 4.35. Um, so a regular marathon would take me probably 2.35 at the moment. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You're talking close to double your uh, marathon time. Yeah. Off the terrain is. Yeah, that's outrageously good going for that sort of uh, that sort of terrain and that sort of climbing. I mean, those some of those hills just brought me to an absolute standstill doing the Yarrabilla. <laughs> I um I can't imagine doing it in anywhere near. I think I probably did about quadruple that sort of time. I reckon to get myself through it. So yeah, the main um, thing was you're out there. That's it's, ah. it's relative. It's just going and doing stuff. It was great. It was. It was. It was actually 
as much as it was painful and as much as I was sore for ages afterwards and hungry for ages, I was hungry for like three days afterwards, yeah. um, it was fantastic to do. And and my goal was just to finish. I didn't really yeah. have any aspirations around time. And uh, But, you know, I'd, as part of my preparation, I'd done the Adelaide Marathon about four weeks before. Yeah, nice. Um, and so the comparison between doing 42Ks on the road versus 56Ks through yeah. nature was very stark. You know, mm-hmm. the... the Ultra was so much more enjoyable. Being out in nature, having a bit of variability, having a bit of you know up and down, and you know there's a waterfall, there's a koala, there's you know just all that sort of stuff um, was was so much so noticeably different. And actually, my body pulled up better from the ultra than it did from running on the road. Yeah, because every foot strike in a road marathon is very very similar within yeah. a couple of points of a percentage the same. Whereas yeah. in trail running, you are varying your muscle groups so often. Um, yes, it may be the straight, somewhat same stride pattern, but your foot strike is so different that it's activating slightly different muscles in a different way that you do pull up a lot better from trail running. And that's why it's getting so popular because yeah. people want to be out doing something different. Mm. And, and once again, it's that variety, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's that, uh, that variety of movement for your body that, that, you know, is, I think, healthier for your body, allows you to, yeah. to you know, develop a more well-rounded body, um, which I think is great and prepares you better for, for life. Um, Matt, we haven't even spoken about food yet and we've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, yeah. But So, I'm really curious to hear about you know, your approach to fueling yourself for these sort of huge long events. Well, at the moment, actually, I've, I've changed recently to um, a product, uh, you may have heard of it, um, called Turbo Superfoods. Um, that's what I'd use out um, when I'm actually, I guess, somewhat racing. I don't use a lot of it in training. Um, in training, oh, I, the session would have to now be well over two hours to for me to actually need anything. I guess I'm to the point now where as long as my heart rate stays below sort of 80, 85%, um, I don't really need to fuel it with anything until I go over two, two and a half. Um, but if I'm really having a good dig, I use this stuff called Turbo Superfoods, which is um, created by, yeah, a girlfriend of mine and it's pretty much just raw honey. It's got this uh, freeze-dried uh, coconut water in it. Um, it, this stuff called Turbo Superfoods Performance Powder, um, I don't really know exactly what's uh, what's in that powder, but it's all 100% organic, um, and the honey just I don't know gets me jacked, and <laughs> I really like it. Um, and what about what about meal times? Like, how do you what do you eat the morning before you do an event like that? Yeah, so the morning before, I'm not the biggest thing that I've learned over time is try not to be too stringent because if I'm in Italy or if I'm in Spain or the US, I might have to have a croissant. I might have to have um, a muesli bar. I might have to have a coconut water or a chocolate milk. I never know what I'm going to be hit with. But if I have my ideal scenario, um, I like to have some sort of an energy, somewhat an energy bar, whether it's a cliff bar, a power bar, something uh, light with around two to 300 calories in it, about probably two hours, an hour and a half before, and then around about 50 minutes before I'd have half a banana just to curb, I guess, um, the hunger feeling in my stomach. But it's more the night before, which I'd um, focus on eating somewhat clean and as normal as possible. So whether that's a piece of salmon and some, um, say, some sweet potato chips or when I say sweet potato chips, like sweet potato uh, fries or sweet Mm. potato uh, mash, um, some vegetables in there as well, e.g. broccoli. Um, 
but just try to really keep it clean and normal. Don't go out and have a Big Mac the night before and I don't have – I'm not a big fan of carb loading. Um, I just – I feel heavy personally and I feel crap. Um, <laughs> my joints just feel heavy. I feel tired. I feel lethargic. Um, so if anything, I like to rock up to the race feeling light and then during the race, I'll actually have a few more calories within the race rather than trying to preload hard because it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That, that was probably similar to the approach I think I took just innately. That just that was just how I felt. I didn't necessarily feel hugely hungry before the event. I didn't want to have heaps of food in my stomach because that just didn't feel right. Um, but I sort of grazed the whole way through. So that's good. Uh, what about day-to-day, Matt? What's your diet like on a day-to-day basis? Uh, you must eat a fair bit to do this sort of training. No, actually, it's, it's funny, like, definitely when I was young, for sure, but I think the older I get, then my body, um, you know, burns fuel more more efficiently. Um, so, day to day, just oh, just clean, you know, like, try to eat meat, try to eat vegetables. Um, I, I eat a fair bit of yogurt. Um, I don't drink any, I don't drink any uh, dairy. Um, I more drink uh, coconut milk. That's sort of my thing. I eat a lot of nuts, um, a lot of dried fruit. Um, so I'd get home from a two or three hour training session, and I'd have a hundred um, percent whey uh, protein powder made by a mate of mine, Shannon, called PSE um, Protein. He was on one of the podcasts you did the other week. He produces a good product. I have that some berries with coconut um, milk and some sort of an electrolyte powder and that would get me through. There'd probably be about 400, 500 calories in that. Um, I try to have – my wife makes a very good um, um, paleo, uh, like a uh, this muesli mix thing that I try to eat a fair bit of. Um, but I just make sure that it's varied, it's clean. It's I don't go crazy on anything really. Eggs, I like eggs. I like eggs a lot. Actually, <laughs> I like duck eggs a hell of a lot. The lady next door – um, has these really good ducks, um, and I eat a lot of duck eggs. So duck eggs with bacon, duck eggs with sweet potato, duck eggs with something. I just like duck eggs. Yum. Well, it's it's actually about 9 o'clock in the morning here right now, and I haven't had breakfast yet, and you're making me feel very hungry. Yeah. So I'm going to go cook up some eggs in a second, I reckon. If you can find duck eggs, they are unbelievable. And duck eggs, I'm sure you already know, is their omega-3s are really, mm. really high. Yum. Yeah, I don't have any duck eggs here. I've got some duck. Maybe I'll cook my eggs in duck fat. That might at least get me uh, feeling good. Oh, and coffee. Actually, thinking of the fat because I was thinking putting fat with coffee. Uh, <laughs> coffee, I, I do like um, I, yeah, I do like a coffee, um, a good black coffee. A mate of mine has a good roasting house. Um, and, yeah, I do like coffee a lot. And what sort of fat do you put with it, Matt? How do you do that? No, so so much in the fat. No, not, not in oh, my – Oh, you don't do that. All right. I, uh, don't get me wrong. I like the I like the idea of it, but I really like uh, to taste the blend of his uh, his coffee rather than uh, get I guess the other taste going on. All right. All right. So Matt, uh, obviously people can find out more about you. They can they can find about your training courses at obstaclecourse.training. Yep. Um, so they can get all the information there. They can find you on Facebook, uh, just Matt Murphy. Um, yep. Instagram Murphy underscore Matty. Yep. Um, and so they can they can find it all about you. Follow what you're up to. I'm going to definitely jump on and follow you on Instagram so I can see these crazy events that you're doing because uh, you know hopefully it won't inspire me to decide to want to do one, but you know it probably well, will. You're welcome. You're right. welcome at the Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to end up doing one of these one day. I just know I am. I'm, I'm kind of trying to resist it, but I know I'll end up caving and wanting to do one. So that'll happen. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show, Matt. Really enjoyed it, mate. 
No, I really appreciate your time, all right? Beautiful. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.